Hello and welcome to a very relaxed, a very chill and missing one member episode mm. of the Dad and Sons podcast. You know, the new segment's probably going to go the same though. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's probably like, ah, I dodged a bullet this week, considering how many news stories you've lined up. But yes, I'm your host for this week's episode, Liam Edwards. And joining me is uh, my usual uncle, father, daughter, sister, mother, and son, George Viedman. Hello. This isn't this isn't the uncles and cousins podcast. This ain't your second cousins once removed from your dad's divorce. This and is children. This is the Dad and Sons podcast. The Rad Bad Dad. This is the Dad and Sons podcast, but we are missing one of our... It's Dad and Son. Right, right. Who's the dad? Who is the singular son? Um, we had a bit of a scheduling conflict this week. Totally, totally my fuck up. Um, for, for a good reason. Networking? Yeah, I can't... How can we, how can we beat around the bush? Uh, I I had to go out for a dinner with some people. Ah. They really do make you stay for, for drinks after work in Japan. <laughs> yeah. You work, and then you socialize with the people you work with. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's the unwritten rule of doing business in Japan. And uh, there are some guests in town here in Kyoto. You can imagine some of the video game company people who come through every now and again uh, here. And sometimes we have to... Uh, accommodate them, let's say. So totally my fuck up, which means that Matt is not here right now. He's probably asleep, which is something he would enjoy wholesomely more than this. <laughs> That's flattering. <laughs> <laughs> so before we uh, accidentally tell embarrassing stories about people who might not want us to tell them... um. Let's let's talk about a video game that you and I have been playing for once. Straight into the video game. Yeah. So yeah, we've actually been playing. Well, it's a game I was getting super hyped up about that you didn't even know what it was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it looked like it was up my alley, and, and then a yeah. friend gave me a session, and I picked it up. Well, weeks went by, so we kind of like, <laughs> I kind of got hyped up about it, and then it came out, and my thoughts about it were not were interesting so then it kind of because you hadn't played it they kind of just passed us by and we never mentioned it and then all of a sudden you're like oh my god guys we need to talk about this i feel like like uh the the name for some reason kind of kind of strikes me the wrong way and and feels a little icky i think it's a great name for a video game it's a very video gamey title that is that is true but it implies that that violence and conflict might be more uh uh, fun fun and wholesome yeah well the game's presentation is very we shouldn't beat around the bush it's war groove we're talking about the game war groove groovy wars groovy wars which you know a lot of people know i talk about tactics based games a lot on the show and you obviously have been on your fire emblem kick uh, my fire emblem kick and this is uh it's itching the scratch it's but it's it's clearly more advanced wars than than fire emblem with uh how how you have like an unlimited stream of units that keep coming in so it's like a weird hybrid of the two and the problem with that is it's like the worst parts of both of them oh no what it suffers from 
Like it doesn't have its own. It, it has its own identity presentation wise because the pixel art is fucking brilliant. It's fantastic, and the animations with some of the stuff like the trebuchets and stuff like that. The animations are amazing. And how but the, the war dogs, they never die. They just, like, yeah, run away. Yeah, they just run away. <laughs> and Caesar, when, like, the Caesar, one of the, <laughs> the commanding officers, the COs, <laughs> like, he, like, barks orders at two archers to, uh, not archers, like, crossbow units to uh, fire for him. And then he just, like, proudly barks at them after succeeding. It has a lot of charm and identity to it. Um, but... The gameplay is ripped straight from two Nintendo games, <laughs> and they don't carry over. Well, until yesterday, they didn't carry over anything uh, that was uh, to do with quality of life that Nintendo have learned from over the years. So, Wargrove is is scratching a whole lot of itches for me. I like the um, focus on making sure units are aligned correctly for critical attacks. There's there's a uh, definitive need to to pay attention to formations and the order in which you slide your units around and yeah that yeah that, that's a problem in its own <laughs> i i i would love to play a good meaty multiplayer match with this thing to see an attrition develop cuz it's very yeah. very cheap to buy a lot of units that can that, that are fairly powerful units and i I can't imagine skilled, more skilled matches between more skilled players turning into the entire map filling up with cheap units all the time, and the focus on the strategy being how you break that tension. And it sounds yeah. like that's kind of what the campaign grinds you through. Yeah, that doesn't like I don't get me wrong. I like the game, and I feel like my negative thoughts towards it come from a place of such want for it to be good because I was excited about it ever since it was announced and then it was just slightly disappointed that it ah, made yes, the same yes. stumbles that older Fire Emblem and Advance Wars games uh, made. The, the, the hype problem, the expectations getting too high. <laughs> uh, yeah, and they just, you know, the, the Fire Emblem has introduced like quality of life changes over the series to be able to like accompany a whole series of players to, for all different skill sets and to be fair to wargroove there was their massive update yesterday which fixed a lot of those issues but when i first started playing it they weren't there which means for anyone who hasn't played wargroove or doesn't know the maps are really big oh um turn on the zoom out checkbox on on handheld it makes such a big difference yeah but that's still not the issue like most of the maps only have one barracks so your units always spawn like new units spawn from this one central place on a map and you could be progressing through through the the map and you have to drag units all the way from the starting point across these giant vast plates. Like, the same happens in Advance Wars, but Advance Wars maps were a lot smaller. Which meant, like, you could spawn units and then immediately, within two turns, get them into the battle. Whereas, like, unless you spawn knights in this game or things that can move faster, like wagons moving your stuff... Balloons. It could take fucking ages for you to get even, like, reinforcements or to position people. And these maps can go on for, like, an hour. So I have a uh, bit of bit of weirdness with with how I've been playing this game, and that is that I played. I, I think I've probably played about four to five hours in total 
but half of that is the arcade mode. I played up to the campaign up until wow. unlocking the arcade mode, and then I'm like, <laughs> as like, in terms of, of setting, throwing yourself immediately into a sandbox where you have every kind of unit to experiment with, some easy AIs, no gameplay features that aren't locked away for tutorial purposes, I, I ended up having a lot more fun with the arcade mode than the actual mm. campaign. Maybe that's a bit more accustomed to that kind of thing, because mm -hmm. the campaign, I don't know where you got into the campaign. The campaign, I think I'm in, like, Act 3, I think. Yeah, I don't know if I'm in Act 3. I'm more in, like, Mission 6. I... Whenever they unlock the arcade mode, I think they. I think the previous tutorial was the one where they tell you about your war groove, and I picked it oh, up wow. with a so friend. You're like nowhere in the nowhere campaign. near. Yeah, I picked okay. it up with a friend while we were waiting out a tornado in Macon, Georgia, at McDonald's. What is and it with it, us in the switch and natural disasters? <laughs> Jesus, it, we're using the game the way it was meant to be played. That console's fucking brilliant. After it like two years, brilliant. I think everyone's come to terms with it was. That this thing's just full of good ideas. Anyways, we're at McDonald's in Macon, Georgia, waiting out a tornado, and we played a multiplayer match with each other that lasted about 45 minutes, in which I actually lured him into some, some clever traps of mine by by pulling some, some archers out of the woods when his commander got too close. Were you playing local multiplayer? Yeah, it worked really, wow, really well. That's I was pretty cool. I was super hyped that... um that I won my first match in this game against a real human opponent who wasn't actually trying to let me win. So I was like, oh, cool, there's something really cool here. And I haven't gotten to these missions in the campaign yet that everyone... It's not just you. A lot of people are saying that the campaign, like, grinds you to dust. So I, I've i been a little leery to, to go down that road and, and probably will spend more time with the arcade mode and the multiplayer than anything else. It is strange. It's a strange game because I was playing it like I would traditionally play like a Fire Emblem game. I'd go through the campaign, learn the characters and stuff like that. But it, I don't know whether it suits that because like when I first started playing it and the reason I never talked about it on the show is because I really got upset at it. There was a, there was a, one of the acts, like the first act of uh, when you enter the forest area for anybody who knows that or playing it, I won't spoil too much. But this map, like, goes on for, like, an hour. Like, it goes on for a long time. Because it has you traveling across this big, vast map, across this river between two bridges. You only get one set of barracks to spawn in, uh, spawn in uh, new units. And then you can get sort of funneled by the enemy AI and then they have a commander that can move very quickly across the map and it can be quite dangerous. And this game is tough. Like if you've read any reviews or anything, you will know that one of the biggest standout points is that this game is tough. It's way tougher than Fire Emblem or Advance Wars. It is like, it's not your baby's first tactics game. Like <laughs> those can be. Uh, so it can be pretty tough, but at the same time, it's not forgiving in the way that, well, it was at the time not forgiving like it should be for quality of life. It's a video game and they, you know, checkpoints and uh, something like a power, like in Fire Emblem, like uh, in Shadows of Valentia, like Fire Emblem Echoes, they had like the turn wheel that you could turn yeah. back. Yeah, and I loved that feature. So if you made one 
small because the thing is once you like press the thing or you accidentally press the thing in Wargroove, they will do it. If you double tap A, it, it will make your ter your unit just sit around and wait for the whole turn. And I wish they had thrown in wait at, at like the bottom of the list instead of the yeah. top. And sometimes they'll forget to have like uh like sometimes you'll forget to like spawn a unit out of the barracks because you're moving like twenty units around. Mm -hmm. And Which is why I recommend zooming out. It's it's yeah. it's easy to lose track of, of everything going on in this game and tapping the shoulder buttons to cycle through everything eventually has you cycling through buildings and that's how you know your turn's really over rather yeah. than a more clearer way of, of telling you everyone's done moving. They they don't have anything that they don't have like a like a law plot or anything that will allow you the player a little bit of flexibility with that kind of thing. And when your maps are huge and when your missions go on for forty five minutes to an hour, if you fa if a player fails at that point for like a silly mistake or it, it's quite difficult or something like that, and to have to replay it to just try and experiment at that point, mm -hmm. it's not good. It's just not good. It's really funny how much that undo button adds to the experience. Because when you were talking about this, I was like, oh, I loved the hour-long matches in Fire Emblem Echoes. And it was... But how did you get through them? Exactly. You could... If over the course of an hour, a lot of mistakes can be made. But by yeah. that point in the story in Fire Emblem Echoes, you will have upgraded your turn wheel to where you get ten uses of an undo button. And so at this point in the game, I'm still freaking picking up and playing Fire Emblem Echoes for the, the in-game content. I'm basically reverting back to the very, very, very beginning of, a, of these hour-long battles if something goes wrong in the end and absolutely positively making the most of it. And it's so fun seeing how many different strategies you can play around with and how different the battles go. And in uh, Wargroove, you don't get that luxury up until the first patch uh, drops, in which they're going to be adding a single checkpoint that you can plop into the middle of a battle. Yes, so I, tr I, I played some of it today after I downloaded the update. So... Yeah, like, I, I hear, like, the thousand screams of people being like, get good, <laughs> yeah. scrub, get good, kid! Like, no, no, it's not, like, you have to, when you design a game, you have to accommodate for people who want to play your game or try and, like, learn this, you know. Tactics is not the most opening of video game genres. Fire Emblem and Advanced Wars help people ease into that because they had these systems a lot. You have to have some sense of customization, especially when you want players to be, like, in a mission for an hour. And one tiny mistake or, like, you know, feeling the pressure of, oh, shit, I can waste a whole hour and then I have to go do it again. Especially if, like, let's be honest, if you're a working adult, you don't have that fucking time. Then the game goes in your back catalog and you don't, play, you don't pick it up again. Because you're like, well, fuck this. I'm just going to move on. So they did release a major update and they have, they had like prior ways you could uh, adjust the difficulty, which is not the same thing. It's very hard to explain to people that changing the difficulty is not the same as allowing someone to cha be challenged by the AI, but also have the safety net of being able to just undo like one turn. It's a matter of player expression and creativity. The yes. undo button allows you to experiment with different play styles to see like, how the game works. Yes, and I would much rather be challenged by the AI and have like a good half an hour and then oh, make one mistake and then undo and then try and figure something out to continue without having to restart again than dumbing down the AI 
and then just breezing my way through an hour's map. It's a completely different experience. And another problem that I foresee happening is this kind of... I'm seeing this in, in arcade mode. A lot of matches turn into a snowball effect. And that's because of the economy of, of capturing villages that give you money, that allow you to build more units with no consequence to filling the map up with as many units as possible. Units are so much more disposable than they are in Fire Emblem, where characters permanently die forever, and that changes the story. They, they are, but because of how big the maps are and can be, like sometimes it's just like, I don't want to lose this unit because then I have to wait four turns for a new unit to yeah. actually just make it here. If, like, if things don't go in your favor, you have to sit and watch them not go in your favor yeah. for turn after turn after turn until finally the match ends with you losing. Uh, yeah, I never spawn like swordsmen or pikemen because they just move like three spaces and it just takes like five turns for them to get into the battle. I'm just like, oh, <laughs> why even bother? It, it has a dimension of economic management to it that Fire Emblem does not because your army is not pre-made. It's not purely tactics. There's <laughs> there's there's a budget to balance as you as you go through with it. And so then it becomes a contest of which player has uh, a race to see who can have more than half the villages on the map and 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 make all that money to to spew all those units out new units every turn several maybe even more than one new unit cuz uh you got the I don't know if you've if they've have they given you the towers in the campaign at the part you're at where you get air units and sea units? No, they haven't. Oh yeah. I the last thing I got was the last thing I got was uh the trebuchet. If if you want to <laughs> If you want to play a more complete and balanced game than what the campaign's giving you, I would I would recommend popping in arcade mode, and and experimenting with with your full arsenal of of units, because um like, it gets complicated, but it still falls victim to that snowball effect. Like once the enemy economy gets going, that doesn't feel like there's a lot you can do to stop it. Like this game has a lot of a lot of options and a lot of cool things. Like, they have, like, a whole campaign builder. You can build your own campaign. Like, that is amazing. You can build your own tactics campaign, or you can build a campaign and share it with your friends. Like, that is amazing. Not only can you plot out, like, where they are belong on the map, but then you can customize every individual mission. It's really cool. Like, there's a lot going on in that game that is good. Yes. Music. Music's good, too. Music is, is a catchy poppy, infectious little earworm that'll get stuck in your head, and you won't mind because it's good. <laughs> I just wish that it had a little bit more quality of life stuff. Like, they took a lot from Fire Emblem and Advance Wars, but they didn't take, like, the lessons learned. And one thing I can't believe I'm not seeing is a straight, simple number of attack and defense values for your units. You can open up a attack matrix that gives you the uh, predicted HP of how they'll chip away at every other unit in the game in a table that's a different screen. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's extremely tough to do the math to predict how the next turn's gonna go without numbers on the screen easier to look at. Yeah, and it's like, um, everything's really weirdly set up because... It will give you, it will be like, you'll do 34% damage to this unit. But then that equates mm, to them yeah. losing four units out of ten? They, they don't have HP, they have percentages. But they don't even have that, because then the tiny boxed number that appears is like, out of ten. So it if rounds you do 34% to the nearest. damage, it will, yeah, it will round up. 
which is really strange. So, yeah, it's scratching the itch. I just don't know how... I, I feel bad that people might not really remember this game after a year or so. And it's clear they put enough effort into it for it they to get... They are selling well. Really? They were the second highest selling game of last month on the Nintendo eShop. Oh, that's 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 great. It received great reviews, just... It had this difficulty problem that stood out across all of the reviews. I really, really hope they make a Switch version of Fire Emblem Echoes, because another thing I've noticed since playing that game is that it kind of flew under the radar. It came out a couple months after the Switch launch. It did, yes. Yeah, if you look up Fire Emblem fan art, if you play through the new Smash Brothers, like, there's, there's not a lot of representation for this one out there, and it's surprising that... I, I, it seems like one that the fans of this franchise just adore. Like, if you go to a YouTube video of any, any bit of music from the Fire Emblem Echoes soundtrack, like, you will see so much love in the comment section for, for that game. And it, it, it would be so nice to have a, a solid ass turn based strategy like that on the go portably. And Wargroove is, is gonna be satisfying that for a while. I just don't know if I foresee it doing that long term. Well, I hope they stick with that series that because they, they've kind of started like, sh- uh, what is it? Shadows of Valentia is like a remake of Fire Emblem Gaiden. Gaiden, yeah. So I hope they stick with like this Fire Emblem Echoes series, and they just like do remakes of the old ones, and it just builds up, and like we get new ones on the Switch. That would be cool. Um, one thing that that is apparent is that. Turn-based strategy is so good in a portable format. Like uh, when I'm when I'm rendering and, and writing scripts, I can just kind of plop a line down. <laughs> Whoa, that came out weird. Pull pull out my portable. <laughs> play and in, input a turn. Tetris. Uh, put it down. Do another line. Pick up my portable again. See what the enemy does, and then input my next turn. Rinse cycle and repeat, and before you know it, the whole day is is gone, and I uh, might might have could have been more productive. But at least I had fun playing video games. I can talk about on the podcast, yeah. right? See, that's a, yeah, and it's the thing is, I've been playing it on my uh, lunch times, and just like one mission will take up my entire lunch time, so I feel like I'm not really making any progress, but it's still fun. So what's what's our verdict so far on on Wargroove? Uh, given given the the not exhaustive but substantial hours we've we've given it, I've probably played it for about six or seven hours. But the thing is, I don't know if I want to continue with the campaign. I actually am kind of convinced to go and play arcade mode next time I play it. I I I, I have had more fun with the arcade. I was thinking about how long it was taking me to finish these missions, and then where I was in the story and then I looked at the whole expansive world map and I was thinking about how many missions I had ahead of me and I was like ah, nah, 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 nah this is not going to happen it's the kind of campaign where the first as, even as far as you are it's, it's clear that there's a lot of features to the game that they're not giving you they're, they're not it's, it's a tutorial campaign well I'm past that like I'm past that like the tutorial quickly I mean, does this game have a tutorial? Like, you do the first mission, and then after that, like, immediately the difficulty is, like, whoop, spikes up pretty pretty strongly. 
If they haven't given you air units yet, then I feel like that's a oversight because they really do change a lot. You can use air balloons that go over mountains and rivers that really speed up the amount of time it takes to deploy a unit. And it sounds like that's something that's been frustrating you, so I, you know, I, I <sighs> feel like that might be a mistake on their part for not getting you those, those air units earlier in the campaign. <laughs> Maybe. I I want to say for $20, it seems like something that's worth it, but only if you're already into this genre and, and appreciate some turn-based yeah. tactics. This doesn't seem like a game for normal people. Yeah, you're going to struggle. It's not as uh, accommodating <laughs> as Fire Emblem can be. Don't buy it for grandma. Yeah. If you want like a pretty tough strategy game that now has a little more safety nets employed in it like it should have in the first place... And they seem to be constantly updating it. I mean, they're getting enough money to... It could get there. Keep going with it. It could get there. It could there. get there. And, like, if you own a Switch, this is a this is a game you should have if you want more games for your Switch. Yeah, no. This, this reminds me that a, a, another strategy game came out on Steam that I was super interested in called Dawn of Man, where you play as uh, Neolithic cave people who, who struggle to survive the Ice Age and invent agriculture. And it sounds like a concept that's just so far up my alley. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going through this Werner Herzog Cave of Forgotten Dreams uh, phase where I'm, I'm, I'm just, like, fascinated by early spirituality and, and early, early human communities. But the reviews are, are turning me off of this thing. But one common thread they have is that modders and patches could turn it into something great. And I guess... A, um, strategy games. Wait and see if they become great later. <laughs> um, what else? What else do we have to talk about this week? Because uh, I got I got a few, but in fact I got I got more that happened this week than I think we can talk about this week. But well, indulge me, sir, because uh, mostly I've been playing Wargroove and getting ready for Devil May Cry. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna be picking up DMC for uh, maybe today if I can finally finish this editing, and then I'll be hitting five as soon as I finish that one um i went to an art museum and uh saw a piece of art behind glass that had a little plaque next to it explaining how the art and how artsy it was and why it's art and the game was katamari damachi and the uh, art museum was the um jepson center at SCAD, the savannah college of art and design and it was adorable as hell SCAD. What a name. Yeah, I know. SCAD. It sounds like something that could either be like an annoying uh, 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 injury you grind into your elbow if you fall on pavement, or... Sounds like the kind of poo particles you'd get on your Switch. Oh. Oh. Oh, I got got a little bit of SCAD. Oh, Oh, no. no. Liam. I got a little bit of SCAD on my Switch. Liam, there's people who have, like, dedicated their lives to this educational institution. I know, I feel bad for them, because if I was, like, hiring them for a job, I'd be like, oh, you went to SCAD, oh. Oh my god. Oh. So far as I know, it's actually one of the more more prestigious and respectable art schools in, yeah. in, in just, the States. Just Anyways. don't get it on your Switch. Uh, <laughs> They uh, had an exhibit up showcasing the works of Kida Takahashi, who is the uh, crazy man behind Katamari Damachi, where they yeah. were exhibiting some of his other games that aren't as easy to cram into one's household. One of which is Alphabet, where you have a 27-button controller. 
one <laughs> button for every single letter of the alphabet, and uh, you uh, are playing a side scroller in which the letters of the alphabet have to boop their way through a level, and so you and some friends like plop down at certain uh, uh, quadrants of this giant table of buttons and um, try to coordinate your arm movements across each other and, and play like Twister, but with arms as a video game. Um, another one was World which is an augmented reality game for Google smartphones that they have tethered on the wall because no one has Google. <laughs> Anyways, um, it was really interesting to see how, how, how far along the technology was for, uh, for the inclusion of this game and how well it works in an art museum. Having a cell phone camera track the 3D boundaries of a clean white room with, with nicely shaded creases actually makes augmented reality cell phone features work super well. And so you plop down little uh, uh, Kita Takahashi-style characters that, that'll just be like a white blob with a smiley face on it who will boop around this room with, with cube feet. It's adorable. The whole the whole exhibit is, is, is probably some of the more adorable stuff that's ever been in that museum. And uh, <laughs> the the kids... It, it's, it also surprised me that it did seem like they had marketed this uh, this thing for kids, which should have been obvious as hell on the way there. Because um, the, guy's, the guy's art motif is like fun, happy, candy people. And, and it seemed like the kids were loving it, and, and the parents were having a blast. And there were some really interesting... Um, comic panel type designs that that he had uh um given to the museum that have uh him making a, a, a like parody rpg comic where, where the main character who's just named boy finds like a, a rare pillow of plus seven comfort and has to uh climb a tower where where, where cannibal rabbits give him delicious soup and and it's it was comfy, it was cute, and it was also really uh, uplifting and inspiring to yet again see video games in an he's, art museum. He's very much like the rare of Japan. Like instead of putting googly eyes on things, he just gets like a black marker and draws like black eyes on them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's also and then they become beautiful. Lively inanimate objects. He he's also apparently been trying to break into a playground design career. Uh, I follow him on Twitter, and sometimes he posts stuff like that. He's into uh, playgrounds. He really wants he to design playgrounds. Yeah, he definitely doesn't... Partic even though he's making a game, he's making a game right now called Wattam, he definitely doesn't seem to care too much about games. He... The, the, the common motifs you see are, are like, punchline reactions when, when you play this guy's games. Like, you press a button on the controller, and some sort of physical comedy happens as a result of the button <laughs> press. Which is that, very Japanese. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a, a sense of humor that was shared throughout all the various uh, uh, exhibits that, that he had there. And that's very... <laughs> what what how pure of a, of a sense of play is that? Imagine if this guy made a playground where where kids, like, slap a box and some weird accordion-esque adorable creature pops out and slinks around the playground and, and has, like, mechanisms built into it for humor. Uh, there was some original concept art, actually. This was really cool for me to see. Some original concept art sketches hanging right there on the wall with the, the the original pencil scribbles still still available to see. Sorry, Katamari is just like 
Mm, one of one of my faves. And in the original design for Katamari Damachi, <laughs> you actually would plop the prince on top of some like Borge-looking Japanese man's head, the prince would jam a steering wheel into this guy's skull, who would then all of a sudden wake up and start, like, <laughs> piloting themselves around the room, collecting junk somehow through a different mechanic and system than what ultimately became the game. But even in the concept art, he drew it as a two-panel comic, where the punchline for what this button press would represent in the game was was being represented by by speed lines and and facial expressions in the concept art the guy the guy knows no he knows he knows comedy he knows play-based comedy he is a pretty funny dude there were uh, some other exhibits from from his college years where he did things that had more of a weird or a little bit of a grimier retro retro brown green color scheme and it's it's cool to see that the, he also uh, is, is a human being who's developed through multiple styles and was at one point in his life capable of making something that looks kind of green and grimy and, and rustic uh there was a uh a, a table that folds out into a a chair i think that looked like a a piece of renaissance machinery there was an astro boy statue that doubled as a trash can container <laughs> that did not look like a kita takahashi piece of video game art at all it was it was just a good good interesting fun wholesome time and on the way back there was a tornado <laughs> what is it yeah what is it with us and natural disasters I I guess we need to move. <laughs> well, we I did need move. Matt <laughs> did move. But we we're still need... in the paths. Maybe we need to make sacrifices to some god out there. I mean... We need to kill a farm animal in the name of, of the... <laughs> the big daddy. Nintendo should use that for their marketing. We tested these internally in... Natural Disasters... <laughs> I never thought that the uh, value of cutting out the fear and the boredom and the anxiety of waiting through a natural disaster would be would be a real See, selling point. You, There's you value get it to now, be had right? there. You get yeah. it now. When it you makes were giving you feel me better. hassle about yeah, when you were giving me hassle <coughs> about playing the switch during the flood, you get it. It's just like, there's nothing you can do. There's literally nothing you can do. You just have to wait, and the switch can just. Video games can be immersive, and uh, the Switch can be very helpful because in a situation where you need to move pretty quickly, it's a portable machine. <laughs> I, I was picturing you just being distracted while important emergency announcements are happening, but in the mindset oh, that was we were me. In, I had to, I had to put oh. like, my phone in another room because oh. the, the, those emergency announcements just get so frustrating. Maybe the, the turn-based nature of turn-based strategy games helps waiting through natural disasters as well because you can check your cell phone for weather alerts in between your turns. But what happens if you're about to like finish your mission and you die and then the water rises enough to kill me? Wait, would be, are you talking about be... dying in the game or dying in real life? Because then you... There's... I don't know. I would maybe... never want to bet my life on Wargroove. I would, maybe... I, would, I would be pretty quickly dead, I think. Maybe there should be some kind of like life insurance policy in these games where they they like get the AI to complete your turn for you if your mortal coil is unable to do it here in this waking yeah. life. So people can't laugh at me. Haha, <laughs> he died as he failed a mission. That would be a bad epitaph. 
Uh, especially if the AI doesn't do a good job of, of respecting your legacy. <laughs> so, uh, what else? What else? We, we, we've talked, we talked about how games are art, um, how a game that we've both been playing is A game is we've both been playing at the dicks. same time that we have very similar thoughts about. Oh, who would have th- <laughs> thunk it? Who on this show would have ever thunk it? I haven't really played much because I'm waiting for Devil May Cry mm, to come out mm-hmm. tomorrow as we record this. That uh, reminded and I'm just me hoping. That I, well, I never played 4. 4 um, was, was pretty great. It was the first in the series to not get, like, stellar... Well, that's not true. 2 was. But, um... What? I was gonna say, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, two? no, 2, two I remember, like... didn't land well. But 4 no. had this this backtracking issue that that dropped scores enough for it to, like, fly, fall off my yeah, radar long enough just until just now. Nero, and then you would play as Dante in the same areas that you just played as Nero. But DMC3 was... is, is one of my favorite games of all time, so I gotta... DMC3 I gotta, is great. I got I to gotta give them some respect and and well, see, uh, see, see the know, legend come back to life. The reviews, the reviews for Devil May Cry 5 <laughs> came out yesterday. Oh, yeah. Remember the two that everyone shared on Twitter about how how the reviewer liked the, the Western reboot better and that mean, meant that their opinion was invalid and wrong and bad or something? Wait, someone re- reviewed it at two? No, no. Um. Oh, God. What, what did I say that... May- that I made that mistake. Someone, um, there were two reviews that I've been seeing around that have been, uh, uh, clipped and quoted and, and used as examples to, to talk shit about game reviewers. And one is, is a reviewer who did like the, uh, Ninja Theory reboot better. And I think the other was someone who said that other hack and slash games were driving the series more forward than this one, which I get, seems like fair enough if, yeah, like, someone wants a bit more a, of a cultural experience is, out of games. They're not going to find it in Devil May Cry. I've played the demo for this game. I played it at trade shows, and then I played the demo that came out. And I'm still, until I play the full game, I'm still not sure that this game has better combat than Bayonetta. I'm not convinced. You know, I, I didn't really like the new God of War, but I respect that it's a lot of people's jams yeah. and that it was a good accomplishment for the studio. I'm not gonna. Bayonetta has the opinions uh, exist. Bayonetta is the tier for me. It's the ceiling. Yeah, Bayonetta 2, I think, is another one of this reviewer's examples of other games that were driving the genre further forwards. One thing that I do think is interesting is that I was briefly toying with the idea yesterday of a video idea. <laughs> it's the most, like, George thing you'll probably ever hear. Yes. Imagine the most super, George thing indeed. Imagine a super buddy hot video titled, What the hell did Dante and Virgil have to do with Dante and Virgil? So I got on the wiki, I looked it up, I got on Wikipedia, I looked them up, tried to draw some parallels between the two. There's a little bit there, but no, I'm pretty he's sure... he's just named yeah. after him. <laughs> yeah. That's like most, it, that's all it is. Like most really cool sounding Japanese character names based on Western history and mythology, it's mostly just because those names sound really cool to Japanese speakers. <laughs> <laughs> Donte. <laughs> Why? What is Virgil in Japanese? V- v- it would be v- I don't Veru Jew. Everyone's gonna think we're super racist, but this is actually how you are supposed to translate Japanese. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, that I, I actually don't know Virgil. I think v- 
The V is weird. Uruguru, because there is no V in Japanese. Uruguru. Uruguru, what? Anyway. Ooh. Um, let's, uh... It is. It's... Vuerugiru. Vuerugiru. Wait, wait, I've got the... I've got... Hang on. Let, let me let me do a map. Oh, my God. Verugiru. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Mrs. Google. Thank you, Google Chan. No, Google Sensei. But but the voice the voice that they use for Google Translate's Japanese mode is like an adorable ah, little girl. Okay, so they don't they don't say it like that. They in in uh in Double May Cry they call him Bajiru. That's we what's Bajiru Bajiru That's nowhere near close what? There it is. It's kind of close. Bajiru. Oh yeah, yeah. That sorry, sorry. The thing is I was mishearing you. I thought you were saying ba with a beat. Well it is ba-juru. it is ba. It is Wait, ba. Really? But in Japanese it will sound like bajiru, because you you elongate the vowel for ba, so it's ba ba va 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 ba bajiru. Oh my gosh, so I would be lost if I wanted to order a VW bug in, in Japan. A BW no, it, bug? It, it's, what? It's the, it's the way... They, like, obviously, they've... When they thought of the name, they were like, well, this kind of sounds like this, and everyone's, like, looking around like, not really, but we'll go with it. <laughs> you can just imagine Hideki Kamiya just being like, Dante. And everyone's like, ah, oh, cool. And he's like, Bajiru. Like, ah, well, he's the director. Just let him do what he wants. I, I guess they wouldn't have to do anything to change Nero's name. Nero, you wouldn't. Yeah, those those, those are in the Japanese alphabet. Yeah. Well, it's not. Well, yeah, it won't be pronounced Nero. It'll be pronounced Nero. Right. Because uh, Virgil is what Nero Angelo. Like he's Nero Angelo, Nello, Nello Angelo in the first game, which is also pronounced Nero, Nero, Nero. Oh man, it's confusing. Why the fuck would they? Put the artist at the end of the Roman Emperor. Anyways, no, they don't have much to do with their historical analogs, except and there's no a V bit. in Japanese, and uh, yet there uh, there is a character named V. I wonder if his name's B. If there's no Virgil. No, no, because no, because Virgil is Virgil. What what about V, the new character in Devil May Cry Five? You know there's a new character called Five, a V, right? I, I did not. I don't like spoiling games before d- d- playing them. Ah, uh, okay, so Remember in Japanese that it's not they released where, where it was full of spoilers? And now people are, like, sharing this, this thing on it, Twitter. It, this, isn't a, this isn't a spoiler. He's on the front cover of the box art. Oh, that's that's cool. But no, I... I Okay, there's there's a, a cutscene being shared around on Twitter. I don't even know what's yeah, on yeah, it because yeah, I never yeah, played yeah, yeah. it. People yeah, just yeah. caption it with, "Wow, this game has the best cutscene ever." Don't do that. Leave yeah. it as a surprise. Well, supposedly V in Japanese is called V, but he's also he goes by Nazuno Toku, which is like what mysterious man. That's way. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. If it's like a, a common well, like, sense, uh, I guess that. There's another one. Santai no majua. Shikezu Nazuno Otoko, which is like the mysterious one, the man who controls things or something. 
But he is called that V. That narrows it down. So I wonder if Japanese people are like, B. It just, it still cracks me up to this day, 15 now years later, that this is a game series that has a major female character in it simply named Lady. <laughs> 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 you gotta respect the hustle, man. You gotta wait. What? What was Lady's dad called again? Oh God, Mungus? Sparta was no, that no, him? What? Sparta is Dante and Virgil's dad. I don't know. It's been fifteen years. Was it M- M- Mundus? M- I remember there being a Mundus. Well, I, Lady's. I'm pretty sure that was Lady's dad. Let's see here on the on the on the wiki. Uh... Devil make cry. I, I don't know. Point is, Devil May Cry 5 is coming out. I'm more excited than usual. Um, um, the series has hilariously named characters. Uh, so, if do you have... Did, did you not play anything else this week? Because then I'm going to scrape something from the bottom of the barrel to, to wrap us up before the break. I'm trying to find out what Lady's Dad was called, which is far more important. Lady's Dad. Lady's Dad. DMC wiki. I'm 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 putting a timestamp down on this section. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is. Well, do you want to know the name of what, the designer who created Lady? Sure. Bingo Morahashi. Bingo. Bingo Morahashi, and his name is spelled in katakana. I, I think you got to clarify Vingo or no, bingo. bingo, like as in the game, and the it's spelled in katakana play. like a bingo. Wow. That's bingo. That, I, I, I guess it means something different in Japan than than it does no, in the no, West. No, 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 no. It means bingo because it's spelled in katakana. The, the game old people play. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's spelled in katakana, oh. which means it's bingo, bingo. Oh yeah, because that's that's what you would use for foreign words. Yeah. Yeah. Jester. Wait, hang on. I'm nearly there. Jester. He he's not Jester. He he is Jester, but he, he it's not actually him. What, oh, I remember name? that Jester. He was a creepy little fuck. What is his name? Ark. Is it Arkham? Arkham. No, wait, that's like Sparta's demonic form, right? Oh, Jester yeah, and yeah, yeah. Arkham, I think, are the same person? The same person. Yes. Yeah, I, Lady's dad is uh, is uh, Arkham, right? And, and Arkham breaks the kind of like like theological religious theme that the characters are usually named after. Like, that. that's from Lovecraft. I don't think that has any biblical analogs. They don't matter they just <laughs> you can tell Kamiya was like I'm just gonna fucking just gonna get a book from a library about demons of, of cool cool western sounding the names. divine comedy let's do this oh his name's Dante that sounds cool and you can read it in Japanese Dante it does he's not wrong no, he's not. He's honestly not wrong. And then it turns out to be one of the coolest video game characters. And the most hilarious thing is that if you if you Google Dante and, and look at the picture they use for Wikipedia, the portrait has him wearing all red. <laughs> well, he did, didn't he? I, I don't know if, if he was a fan of the color red or not, but the Dante in the video game wears red, and the Dante in real life has a has a portrait of him painted wearing red. And I got that's... halfway through the Divine Comedy a couple of years ago. It was a... Oh, you actually read it? Well, I, I got halfway through it. I don't know whether I actually read I, it. I want to, because I've, I've heard that Bayonetta actually makes a lot more sense if you yes. if you read Bible fan fiction like well, that. Yeah, uh, Bayonetta has a lot more steeped in its religious iconography than Devil May Cry does. Mm-hmm. 
which would be oh yeah bayonet is three coming up oh oh well i know what my video is going to be around around that time of the year <laughs> <laughs> yes listeners this is what we have to listen to in the disco chat every day <laughs> so before we go to the break i'm gonna scrape something from the bottom of the barrel from weeks upon weeks ago uh, last year, around December, I was doing the Google project stream for Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and Ubisoft had a very, very generous deal going on that they announced after the, the beta test, well, during, towards the end of it, that um, players who had signed up for this stuff get a free Uplay version of the game, so it's really running on your computer, and it... <sighs> Last time I had to turn off a bunch of HUD features to have fun. This time I think I actually hit the microtransaction teasing paywall that that people were criticizing back then. It takes a while to get off the tutorial island on this game. And then it takes a while before you catch up to a level curve that has had me grinding very, very, very slow, long processes through side quests to get to, to level 17. And I'm seeing that there's quests my character have signed up for that have that they want them to go through during the, the 40s of, of these levels. And it turns out the solution, as, as a person on the stream recommended me, was to accept every single side quest you ever stumble across throughout the entire game. Because a lot of them are passive quota-filling stuff, like kill 10 Sparta soldiers that you're probably going to do anyway, because you're, you're, you're an assassin running around the world assassinating people and, and, and their bodyguards. But... The whole while I had been assuming that picking sides on, on the conflict of this war like that between Sparta and Athens would affect the main story in a Fallout New Vegas fashion, and it really doesn't. And, and it's turned the game into a time-wasty podcast game sort of experience. Like, it's still fun, it still mechanically feels good, it's still an interesting uh, uh, pseudo-historical world to explore, but now yeah. it's it's a repetitive loop of a background activity that has now devolved into much of the same Ubisoft games I played before. Uh, I'm surprised you're still fucking playing it. Because it's, it's not bad. Months. It was free. It's something to do. It's it's something cool to to Wikipedia on with the phone, like always. I've had a lot of fun streams with the girlfriend where she's been looking up the trivia as I've been playing through it. And I... I, I I don't know. I, I my opinion is still inconclusive and confusing, and I guess I just wanted to update because because I just wanted to prove to the world that I still play video games, guys. <laughs> Are you gonna fish it? I don't fucking. It's like seventy hours long, and I have cereal to eat. Why are you eating cereal right now? Cause I gotta go, we gotta make it awkward enough for the break. My mother risked her life for me. And now you too. I should have saved you. Should have been the one to fill your dark soul with light! Welcome back! 
We've uh, traveled on odysseys. We've talked about groovy wars. We even dipped into the theological and religious iconography of both De uh, Devil May Cry and the pronunciation of Virgil. Virgil. Now it's time to get serious and talk about some news. And Matt's not here, so it's just like normal. <laughs> oh, poor boy. Poor boy. George, we yeah. are cooking in your oven of news this week. Um, well, first I want to preface this by saying that while I was in Savannah, I got uh, uh, one, of, one of the more um, characteristic friends of mine to give me an astrological reading uh, in front of some Baptist church that, that looked like a, an ancient Roman temple. And uh, Were you really that scared of the tornado? I don't know. Maybe the tornado was actually a manifestation of of me regarding the astrological reading with with skepticism and analysis. But uh, the tornado came. According to my astrological reading, I I am a uh, a, a Virgo leaning Leo. Um, I'm born gleaning <laughs> under under the, the house of of Aquarius or something, and that means that I'm analytical and skeptical. Wow! And I am skeptical of this first news story. How could anybody say that astrology is bullshit after that? I know, right? They saw right through me. The the nail got hit on the head. I mean, the person who told you probably. Probably just watched your YouTube channel. And and also been a good friend of mine for, for, for many years. But no, I'm sure yeah. it was the stars. Uh, Nintendo yes. has released a port. <laughs> <laughs> what? Nintendo oh. released a, a, a report. Not, not a regular port. Uh, Nintendo has released a r report uh, publicly on the internet <laughs> on the Nintendo of Japan recruitment page claiming that they're... Average salary is eighty thousand dollars a year USD, and that their average working hours per day is seven hours forty five minutes, and that their average full time salarymen are are on the company for thirteen point five years with an average age of thirty eight point six. And Liam, you are a lot closer to this world than the rest of us, and might be able to. Um, well, see, I regard it with skepticism after initially after reports from the the, the hashtag well, fuck Konami era, where it was revealed that it was common practice for for Japanese people to stay at work all throughout crunch time and and have bosses annoy them into quitting rather than just straight up firing them with well, a severance. It's very different, isn't it? Like everybody, especially people who listen to this show, understand that Japanese work culture is essentially crunch anyway. Like, there, it is two different worlds. When you talk about crunch in the West, you're pretty much just referring to what Japanese normal life is for most salarymen in this country. But, but, but according to the Nintendo of Japan recruitment page, well, their average working day is 7 hours, yeah. 45 minutes. That yeah. doesn't sound crunchy yeah. to me. No, I... I well, first off, this is on the recruitment page, so yeah. of course they're gonna they're gonna <laughs> twist this as much as they can to entice people to employ, and it's that time of the year every year. I don't know why this happens every fucking year. This happens every year. Nintendo post job applications before April every year, and then people there's always somebody on the internet that's like, oh my god, Nintendo are hiring for the next big Mario project. 
or Nintendo are hiring because the next Zelda is in production. In Japan, every year, companies employ university students in April when they finish. Usually, in Japan, you can't get a job between April and September, and then September to April, because that's the way the year splits. So... And this happens every time, and of course, Except the uh, tax seasons, like the the fiscal year, well, and it I guess. Also, well, it also ties into school finishing. Oh, so university yeah, yeah finishing. that would make sense. They just hire all the university students. Mm-hmm. But uh, as far as from what I've heard from people, and uh, this, I don't know if this is entirely true, but Nintendo treat people very well. There is a reason that I, a I have lot heard of that Ninten- much. N- like. I've also heard the, that it's standard issue across any Japanese company to work a hell of a lot more than seven hour forty-five minutes. Yeah, and usually you have to do eight minimum. Right. So N- seven forty-five working day. Seven hour forty-five average is or oh, is very skeptical and analytical of that claim. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's 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 yeah, that's a little too low for for what I think. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I feel like there is some truth in this. A lot of like a lot of that eighty k as well that will seem like it's eighty k, but a lot of that will be like housing allowance and uh, money towards your pension, which in Japan you legally have to pay. Oh, nice. Um, well, I don't. I, there are arguments why that might not be. Great. Yeah, if you die before you can retire, then yeah, but otherwise well, not you're going to be if old If you can't someday. afford to pay your pension because you earn minimum salary, like, and the minimum is $160 a month in pension in Japan. Oh, that's actually quite a chunk. Of money. Yeah. Yes. And also, if you're a foreigner, you still have to pay it. And also, you only get 80% back Do if they- you transfer it to your home country pension or whatever they uh give you that when you move out or when you become old you have to wait one year Ah. and you can get it paid out in a lump sum or you can get it paid straight into your pension plan and yeah the pension in japan is a little not not 100 sure about it but you have to pay every japanese citizen has to pay their pension um so nintendo probably does quite help subsidize that nintendo will do a lot of offering things and that offsets with the company because the city of kyoto will give nintendo benefits like discounted housing discounted tax and stuff like that like incentives to get people to come to kyoto and work for nintendo which is like a staple in Kyoto, so they can offer these kind of salaries that, well, or, or salaries that make almost make up to it when you don't have to pay rent and stuff like that. So, so I when feel they say like there is when some they say truth. Eighty k, there you you think that's not not the lump sum the employees are getting. That's that's no. uh, including the housing and the pension. That's like what you could potentially get. With, like, your housing being paid for you and mm. you earning, like... I see, I see. Very skeptical, very analytical pay, of you. But Nintendo don't pay cheap. Nintendo will pay for you to have, like, a $1,500 apartment a month. In, in Kyoto. Which can be super expensive. They will pay. They will pay pretty, like... I know that they do pretty well when it comes to finding people apartments and stuff like that. So I don't. I don't know. The average working. Day, the average working day thing. I think is the one that stands out to me is the most. Mm-hmm. 
like uh, like somewhere in that like the old guys go home or sleep during the afternoon or that's when it's officially recorded on the clock versus when yeah, people actually like, really walk yeah. out of the building like Japan hours has what's later called, yeah Japan has what's called core hours and your core hours are officially what's on your contract but then all the other hours that appear out of like the ether that you work or you are socially uh, socially guided to have to work uh yeah, that doesn't get counted. <laughs> so I imagine this average just goes over the core hours at Nintendo, whatever time you have to be there. But Nintendo, uh, as far as I know, as far as people I know who work at Nintendo who talk about this thing, not that they do very much, uh, it's, Nintendo treat people very well. So we got we got a lot of Nintendo news this week. Um, wow! Yeah. How funny. When there's yeah. a Nintendo Direct, you're like, wow, a Nintendo Direct happened, but Nintendo reveals VR, and you're like, woo! Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, shit. Well, more than that, there's other here. I don't know, Pokemon's not been much of a thing in my life for like a few years. Uh, VR, on the other hand, we all know sure as hell has. Yeah, but they announced more than Pokemon. Uh, do you know what? Sh- shut up. Shut shut up. Shut up. What's the next story? Nintendo reveals a Labo VR kit. Labo. 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 How many times do we have to dance this dance, George? Whatever. Point is, they're doing it. The Madman. They actually went through with it. Ah. And it's the cheapest VR you can buy. $40 for just the goggles and a little cardboard blaster. $79.99 if you, um... Have have one of the 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 fancier main VR kits that includes a blaster, a camera, uh, and the the elephant trunk that you like wave around in front of you. <laughs> whoa whoa whoa! Don't forget the like duck's asshole. Oh yeah, there's also the duck butthole kit if you want to yeah. teach your kids about duck buttholes, or or as I like to call them, dut holes. Uh, you to were be- you were excited about the camera. Um, or, or the well, camera's no, no, potential. No, 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 no. I, I was, yeah, no, I was, I was not, ex- I was, I was dismissed to understand why, if you're gonna make this, that Nintendo just leave free money on mm-hmm. the table. Like, mm-hmm. how do you not make a, v- a VR Pokemon Snap? Like, how? How do you not do that? I just don't think you don't. Um, yeah. Yes, exactly. Is... Like, like people cry all the time about like, oh, why don't you just do this and this and like, of course, it's a lot more difficult than than it actually is in reality. But with this kind of thing, if you're going to invest like new technology for Nintendo, like it's entirely brand new technology that's probably been in development for a good like three years or so because they've had to make VR work for the Switch, but then they've had to bring the cost down and tie it into uh, Labo. They've had to tie it into that, so there's been a lot of R&D on this. How during that time, especially with like Pokemon Go kicking off and like sweeping children's like brains for like the past two years, how you don't just make like some very like even a HD remaster of Pokemon Snap that is tied into this in some way is is beyond me. If you're going to make a camera that takes pictures of animals anyway, how do you miss this opportunity? I don't think 
they will. I mean, okay, the thing is, like, this is definitely going to be well, Nintendo Labo have. funsies at first. They're, yeah. they're marketing this as, like, a first-time VR kit for, for kids and, and new players. But what the real story here is the potential that this opens up in the future. Like, uh, 18 months afterwards, we'll see if they're really going to support this thing or follow it up with a new VR thing or release more VR games for this thing. And that's when that's when you're going to see your, your, your Pokemon yeah. Snap VR probably sort of exist in some form at well, some point yeah. in the future of humanity with uh, I don't I it seems from, like a no brainer almost yeah from what I've seen you know from what we've seen out of Labo and the games that came with the the stuff they are pretty much glorified mini games and I am worried that this is just six glorified mini games that doesn't truly explore like the camera one seems like it could be really cool um yeah but i hopefully i'm just hoping that the technology of the vr goggles i don't think nintendo will fuck it up but i think they I could feel like it's in it's like, teasing what they could potentially do yeah they could ignore a great idea which they've done before um but it just seems uh, uh, so many good it's ideas very, yeah I, it's a very I, nintendo way of approaching something of testing the market with something easy and made for kids like pokemon let's go pikachu before following up with the real deal i i, I feel like it's likely Rookie boys. i'm not that scared no i think In it'll fact, be great because really i mean excited. how could you go wrong you just Spend 40 bucks, which is cheaper than a normal game. And and surely even the Labo games are going to be fun for, for Yeah, like, for like how hours. can you go right? It's not $400. It's not an investment like the PlayStation VR is. It's not an investment that you have to truly think about. This is like, oh, yeah, this is out today. I'm just going to swing by and pick one up after work. Let's see how Nintendo did with VR. And I bet this is actually going to sell a lot more than the other Labo kits as well. Like, VR yeah, because, has a kind of mainstream mystique to it. Yeah, because people like you and me are going to buy it. And Whereas, kids kids are going to beg their parents for the cheapest VR headset on the market so they can be part of, I part think a, of, lot of a, a luxury, perceived luxury market. Yeah. I think a lot of people would put off uh, Labo initially because of the emphasis on the cardboard. But now, although there is a lot of cardboard that goes with this, you know, it's the it's VR. It is VR, and that's going to bring in a lot of people. I'm just, I'm not 100% sure how I feel about having a cardboard stand on my face that holds my beloved Switch. Google card, oh, yeah, yeah, you gotta, gotta point. You gotta put your Switch in it, like, you gotta, you gotta put your Switch in there. The thing that I think puts my mind a little bit at ease with that is that having worked with the previous Labo kits, they're very solidly constructed. It's uh, super sturdy cardboard yeah, with, with design yeah. principles put in mind that make sure not much weight is, is stressing any one particular I'm joint. Still in, you know, I'm still putting my $350, well, no, $300 switch on a piece of cardboard on my face while I am blind. I think the first few hours I will definitely sit on my big puffy couch. So if it falls, it'll land on something soft, warm, inviting, and... In, uh... Like a bosom. Oh. Ooh. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Sounds one like idea that. I'd like to see them follow up on is um, selling some, some backwards... Not backwards compatible, but doing the Nintendo thing. Resell some old games with some gimmicks. 
when I was uh, going through the the Dolphin VR phase, playing old Nintendo games, they they worked compatibly with VR in in a way that was so so surprising. Games like F Zero GX, if you uh, press the camera button a couple times, swoop yeah. it into your cockpit, oh man, and look around, it works. You can like peek your head into the curves of a track to see obstacles coming before. And, and get an advantage that you did not have in the original game. Um, I was playing Ocarina and Mario 64, both games of which I can't imagine stressing the Switch too hard if you applied a VR effect and doubled the frames with some post-processing. And low poly looks cool in VR. It looks like papercraft coming to life right in front of you. And it was, it was a really surreal, meaningful, uh, nostalgic, and heartwarming experience seeing Link fight Goma as if they were little papercrete figures on a on a table in front of me. I I think there's a lot more potential just for that idea that than people give it credit for. On top of the more obvious thoughts like like Pokemon Snap or let's uh, say Luigi's Mansion. Where, where you have to wave uh, the, the vacuum around with your hands. Um, there's so many. Mario Kart seems like another dead ringer. N- Nintendo's done VR Mario Kart, actually, come to think of we it. We can just go on from here about we could. what we the could. possibilities are. So Yeah. Um, I'm really happy about that news. Uh, Nintendo has basically been doing this like blitz of positive VR, bleh, positive PR all week. Uh, they they also have a news story out. This isn't from Nintendo themselves, but sources at the Wall Street Journal. To read the real story, you have to pay their paywall because it's a newspaper for rich stock traders. <coughs> but IGN. <coughs> uh, Apparently has has a subscription and, and rewrote what they reported. Quote, per sources of the Wall Street Journal, Nintendo is concerned about seeing as greedy by consumers and actively tells its mobile partners, including Dina and Cyber Agent, to adjust games so that players don't spend too much. Uh, and you were talking about Dragalia Lost last week. Yeah? This, this is great. This yeah. is truly, like, for whatever... Uh... You know, dislike people have for Nintendo or whatever. Like, Nintendo have always been a consumer first company, and they've obviously reevaluated. Uh, I I feel like they've gone back and forth over the decades, from from like what secrecy company, to transparency to George. What company on earth in this video game industry of ours would have done a move like this? Can what you, do you imagine any other company? Well, I can't imagine they're doing it out of the benevolence and goodness of their heart. So much as I imagine that this is a calculated move to increase the perceived value of the brand over the coming years. Well, I mean, even then, they're still actively making people, trying to curb... In Japan, it's a real problem. Right, like it's one that not could such a cost problem. them longer term as, as their reputation sours. Okay, well, you played Dragalia Lost last week. Turns out that uh, Nintendo of, of Japan has uh, oversight over um, some microtransactions in, in their mobile partner games, and Dragalia Lost was cited by the Wall Street Journal as one of them. Um, Dragalia Lost developer CyberAgent was asked to change the game's odds of earning rare characters following player complaints. Yeah, uh, you can see the odds, and uh, you can click. You can actually click on the. Yeah, how bad? How bad was it? Because you 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 yeah. seem to lean pretty positive throughout your whole segment. With Dragalia Lost, Dragalia Lost is pretty cool. As mobile as far as mobile phones go, as 
It's pretty fucking good. So, so, uh, what about... What about Fire Emblem Heroes? I, I hear, like, that was a little more scummier than the other ones. I or, think, yeah. That game has made a lot of money. Yeah. And, uh... Well, according to the iTunes Apple reviews, it's still sitting at 4.8 out of 5. Anyways, I wouldn't know. Uh, I've, I've not played these things. Not really into them, but... But yeah, I you know Fire Emblem's one of my favorite series. Yeah, I played that game for like a month and then just dropped it like a stone. Was it greedy with the microtransactions? I no, it's oh, okay. I don't think any Nintendo game has been really like it's uh, not as it's not I gave, as in your face. I gave Animal Crossing oh, the tour. You haven't played other mobile games though. You're only comparing it to mm -hmm. normal video games. And and yeah, and even from that standpoint, it definitely strikes me as a completely different sort of of economy and it's a completely gameplay different pacing. World. Yeah, I did yeah, not like yeah. the Animal Crossing uh, 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 campy themed mobile one that that was a microtransaction shop for furniture. Uh, yeah. Well, a lot of people can have played it with, without that ever happening. I, I saw uh, the I writing d on I d the I wall early. It's, it's, it had a three-hour countdown timer on it. I don't know how we got to this point where we have the technology to make really cool mobile phone games, yet we developed into this industry standard where you can get away with really bullshit things. Speaking of bullshit things that some people in the industry are getting away with... <laughs> We're living in some some French Revolution ass times because it truly is the best of times and the worst of times depending on 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 where you happen to live and, and what company you happen to work for. Because while Nintendo has all this positive PR over the past week, uh, Bioware's Anthem launch has gone miserably up to and including a point where three days ago players started reporting that the game was bricking their consoles. <sighs> so yeah, as per the Games Radar report on the story, uh, Bioware's Anthem has had a really rough launch. Uh, on Reddit, people have been reporting its tendency to shut down consoles completely, as if someone pulled the plug rather than crashing to the main menu, making it some scared that it could brick their console. You have to go through some extra steps to, to <laughs> be able to play your video game console again. Should this happen? Um, right, right, right. What what could be said about Anthem that hasn't already been said now? The game is a mess, which is a shame. I, I, my only experience with Anthem has come from a co-worker of mine sitting behind me playing Anthem, and I turned around to watch him play because i was intrigued to see how it looked because from you know from videos it looks like a very beautiful game and i sat and i stared and the loading screen i timed after i got bored was one minute and 39 seconds at least that's better than never being able to turn your console on again how i'm just amazed how that does that happen yeah, i know i honestly like this game like, people say, oh, this game's been rushed, like, all the time. But yeah. this game has truly been rushed. And I, I, I cannot feel anything but sympathy for Bioware, because what can they do? Like, what can they do? It's all EA 
deciding deadlines and them Bioware doing their absolute best to deal with that. But it, it's just a mess. So it turns it is out just a mess. The way you get your console back is you literally pull the plug out of the wall and plug it back in. That's that's the workaround here. And I have a very interesting question for you uh, about this story. Okay. That, that we might... Mm, I'm wondering how, how well this is going to go. Do you think <laughs> players who suffer from this bug deserve a refund? Mm, no. Go on. Um, same as if you download a piece of software and it blue screens your PC. Are you gonna are you gonna get a refund on that? You know, I believed that people deserved a refund when I was under the impression that it bricked their consoles. Knowing that you can plug it back in to get it back makes makes it better. But I have I would be really mad if a company released a game with a bug in it that broke that basically damaged the user's property and did not. There, there, there. How 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 common is this bug though? Um, let's see. Is this one or two cases? It's not one or two cases. There's big long threads of Reddit of, of people who are having it. I, I can't imagine it's the majority of users at all. Well, okay, so from a testing point of view, you can only ever do so much. So if truly, internally, there was never uh, this uh, this was mentioned or this ever came up in their testing, I fully understand because when you... People don't realize that when you release a game, your testing pool goes from like 1% to like 100%. Mm-hmm. You go from having a hundred testers, which I imagine is what like Bioware has, which is a huge testing team, to then like ex- like that to the to nth degree bigger. So the pool for like issues will come thick and fast for stuff you never expected. And truly depending on like people's voltages, because this is tested predominantly in America on PS4s with a certain voltage in a certain state, you have people all across the world with different issues that this kind of thing can then crop up that you just never expected. And it's the worst of the worst because this is like, this is not something that is going to be not going to be swept under the carpet. So fucking weird. But the other thing is, when you when you ship games, you have to go through cert or submission, which means you have to submit your game to Sony or Microsoft, and then they do their own week-long internal testing. And this kind of problem would have never have passed. Mm-mm. If this was found by like a Sony cert tester, it would have immediately got back to Bioware, and they would have been like, you have to fix this game before you can release it. So the fact is, this is probably... Maybe somebody has found this at Bioware, but this got through Sony's testing. So this isn't that common an issue. So with that kind of thing, it's really hard to be like, well, what the fuck? Like, we didn't expect this to happen. <sighs> Shit, now it's happening. What do we do? So that it's a little difficult. I'm I'm reading through the Reddit thread. There are tens of instances of people reporting this happens. It seems like it only happens on the PlayStation 4. And the fix is so fucking weird. It's either... Some people are saying they got to plug their power in and out of the wall to get their consoles back. Others are saying you plug a controller in or out of the console to get it back. It almost sounds like the bug is bri- like like causing your console's car batteries to run out and you got to give it a jump. How it sounds physical. This sounds like something breaking out of the realm of software into the physical mundane realm. No, no, I'm reading about it now. So it's to do with so this is this is 
This is an insight into how testing video games works because there are numerous factors that can affect whatever the fuck happens. Most of the PlayStation... Uh, no, almost all of the PlayStation 4s uh, associated with this were um, PlayStations that had low power issues or had like uh, settings on the PlayStation 4 that lowered the power. So stuff that puts it into standby and stuff like that. So obviously Anthem being a big game that chugs most PlayStation 4s, if it's not getting enough power and Anthem is, like, requiring that, then you're going to have stuff. And from, according to reports, none of the consoles that crashed actually bricked. Yeah. So all of, the, all of them are safe. So yeah. Bioware can just look at the coal stack of what, what was happening as the crash happened, and then they can fix it. So, when, when the story yeah. first broke and, and the workarounds hadn't yet been discovered, I was like... I was be I wasn't even mad. I was just sad. <laughs> but that's the thing is I feel bad for them because uh, the fact is, ultimately, it was a bug to do with low power of a console, which is out of their control. It's out of their control. You can't change that on their end. You can't ask Sony to change that whole PlayStation around that architecture. And, you know, they they immediately f- trying to fix the problem, spoke to everyone who was uh, who suffered from it, and the only thing they will ever be remembered for now is that, oh, do you remember Anthem? <laughs> Used to crash PlayStation 4s. Hypothetically speaking, if, if a game had a bug that reliably could be replicated under similar conditions that actually did break people's consoles, I just want to point out and say they probably should issue refunds if that's ever the case. Well, it depends. Like, if people have had their consoles bricked and they can't use it anymore, yes, then maybe. But that also could be a problem. Like, it's how deep into the rabbit hole do you go? Do you, uh, do you go, well, Sony shouldn't offer this kind of game on their platform if when the PlayStation is at its bare minimum power, it can't run it. Because that's a Sony problem, not a Bioware problem. Are you sure they couldn't have... Yeah, I I don't understand why they couldn't have caught this during their own internal testing and and implemented a fix. Because you can't test for everything, George. Okay, I remember when when the Ubisoft PS4 version of Tetris came out and it had a game-breaking bug that occurred if the player had a friend list that was something like over 130 plays. Like, I know that there are extreme cases that are outliers. Having someone's PlayStation go have, have common... have power settings that are fairly laid out shallow well, low power voltage this is the thing they tested it in edmonton like people do when they for the majority when they test games they test it with like low like lag switches and power switches and stuff like that like this gets tested but even with this it sounds like seven people got it was a, a low power associated thing but sony have their own standards if sony said this is fine then that's a sony mistake not a bioware mistake why not both? Because it comes down to the hardware that the game was running on. Percano los dos. It's tough. It's really, really tough. I, it's a mess. Like, Anthem has not been handled well at all. But that's besides the point. It is still tough from, like, a professional standpoint when this kind of thing happens. Because it's sad because you can't test for everything. Like, what if at 12.01 you try to add a friend via a QR code uh, and you're on 10% battery... Uh, on your controller and your friend lives in Mexico. Like, that's how deep testing can get when you're replicating bugs. It's so on the off chance that things can happen that 
it is sad because a lot of this stuff, and hopefully, like a crash bugs, which is what this is. This is this is an a crash bug. Hopefully, you've got like most of them under control before a game goes out. But of course, Anthem is rushed out, so a lot a lot more than the average for a AAA game has probably slipped through the cracks, and that's kind of sad because the team who make the game obviously don't want this to happen. It's just. It's, it's tough. It's really tough. Or 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 games have gotten too big, expensive, and complicated, and developers have relied on on online patching as a means of public beta testing that have had a lot of silly bugs slip in the past few console generations and previous ones where you couldn't patch them through the internet automatically. I mean, that's that's a that's a better future than the opposite. Like, having to make a game right first time round was always difficult. And that's why, you know, we don't even remember the bad games. And now bad games can be saved. But, but yeah, that's the thing. Is, but, that is, but that is a good thing. That is a good thing. Like, Anthem by next year could be fantastic. You just don't... You sounded a lot more optimistic a couple weeks ago than right now. Because it's sad. I feel bad for them because there nobody wants to make a bad game, and it is hard when you're under pressure to deliver. You know, we we have loads of fucking really well-established studios closing all around us. Like Bioware, considering everybody's been talking the death of Bioware for like the past ten years. Like, can you imagine like how fearful those guys are? Like, shit, Mass Effect Andromeda fucked up. That was a train wreck. And now Anthem's coming out. This game that I imagine internally they were like, yes, it's got its issues, but you know, it's a pretty fun game under here. It's gorgeous. We have all these things we want to do. Like, they all internally know what their roadmap is for the future. So they probably have like lots of exciting features that they're going to roll out slowly. And like, they can see where the game is going. And they probably have faith in it to get to that point. They obviously have to wrangle with EA to do that. But externally, it's all Anthem sucks. It's a train wreck. Bioware are going to collapse. And EA, being EA, the guys who fucking close every studio they've ever fucking owned, Bioware aren't safe from that. No matter what their name is. They had some big changes of staff midway through the Anthem development that sound like a Jason Schreier book waiting to happen. Well, yeah. I mean, you can read about, like, the Dragon Age stuff in the book. And, like, you know, they had, what, Casey Hudson left, and then uh, did he return? Like, Michael Gamble took over, and he did the Andromeda stuff, and then Andromeda was a train wreck, and now he's helping. He's, like, executive producer on Anthem, and... It's hard. It's really there, hard. There was and I a feel general for them. manager and animation director too. Yeah. So I feel for them. A lot of people left during Anthem's development. Yeah. I can imagine the turnover after Andromeda was not great. Like people probably burnt out that that project also took them fucking ages and yet turned out to not be so great. Like nobody nobody like realistically people don't understand this. nobody wants to make a bad game ever. It's people's livelihoods. You want to make the best video you possibly can. We, for as much as we joke, we want to make good episodes of this show. Yeah. Uh, 
It's tough. Like, unless you're an indie developer <laughs> who can control everything. You know what's also gonna be tough? Answering questions. Is answering the very first question we've got here on this week's episode. <laughs> so I just I like I just wanna say, I don't wanna get too real with it, but please read stuff like Blood, Sweat and Pixels by Jason Schreier. That gives you a little more insight into the thinking and like why these kinds of things can happen. Video games is like a melting pot of bullshit that makes stuff like this can happen. And although Anthem is a complete mess, I still have some semblance of sympathy for them. We're also living in a post-Fallout 76 world. Yeah, you see, that on the other hand, though, is like the opposite, where I feel like Bethesda got a bit too big for their boots. Because Bethesda are in charge of lots of their own like scheduling and stuff like that. Bethesda just got a bit too cocky. They were like, fuck me. We're seeing trends of dispassionately developed, problematically developed online shooters crash and burn, and I I can't wait until this whole fad is over. Well, Destiny supposedly eventually got good. Who knows? I don't... I think... Yeah, well, the thing is, if you look at Anthem, you look at Fallout 76, I would play Anthem every fucking day of the week over Fallout 76. Fallout 76 is just dead. I'm surprised that can be fixed. I'm I'm surprised that neither of them are managing to appeal to me, and they both come from developers who have made some of my favorite games ever. But people on the dev staff change, developers change, genres change, and I'm finding more enjoyment elsewhere, and I'm okay with that in the long term of things. Yeah, playing Assassin's Creed via cloud. Um, and uh. All these strategy games I'm getting into, and RE2 is fucking excellent. By the sound of things, DMC5 is fucking excellent. Games are good, man. You, you just got to know where to smooth. Got to know where to look. Don't don't take, stick too hard to your old heroes. So speaking of take us, the rough with the smooth. Speaking of people who are sticking too hard to their old heroes, if you've got <laughs> Questions, comments, suggestions, uh, and and cute animals to send us. Send them to dadandsonspodcast at gmail.com. We're going to be doing some questions this week. Um, I think we have quite... We're, we're still good on dad dens, but, but could use some questions. And you can tell, because this first one's a doozy. <laughs> oh, God. Reggie Fizeme submits... Dear Mr. Dad and corresponding sons, I regret to inform you that the CEO of Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft have unanimously agreed to end all video gaming and discontinue production of all video gaming machines. It's about time! (laughs) The industry has fully realized what a mistake it was. Moreover, all current video game machines will be legally recalled and disassembled for their parts. However, there's one silver lining. Your job is to choose ten games that you feel best represents the medium as a whole since its inception to what it has become today for the sake of historical preservation. What ten games do we choose in a matter of seconds, if not minutes, right now? Is this ten in the sum total of you and me? Or is this ten each? Let's do ten. Uh, you know what? Fu- Let's do it. Let's do ten each. I could probably only do ten. Like, I got my notepad ten. out. <laughs> oh, God. You got a notepad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh. I'm tapping away. Here we go. I, you, don't, you can't type. Everybody will be annoyed at you. <laughs> yeah, but this is a case where it's, like, appropriate. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, uh, it's audio storytelling. <laughs> Mario 64 is immediately the first one. You know what? Let's go back and forth, actually. That should uh, get us up to 20 pretty quick. All right, you say Mario 64? 
It's gotta be. I it say, was the biggest yeah. it was the biggest generational leap of all of video gaming. Well, on that respect, I wanna say Pac-Man. For I, uh, for I mean Pac-Man's boring to me, but I would agree right. it was a revolution for video gaming. Yeah, a real artifact. If we're if we're gonna include yeah. something that, that paved Mm, pave the way for for decades of video games future. I, I think Pac-Man should definitely be in a time capsule. Best represents the in the medium as a whole. I I feel like we have to go with a broad spectrum of things that represent mm-hmm. what video games can be. I'm still tacking away. <laughs> uh, oh yeah yeah yeah. Mm, that's a good one. You've got to, you've got to have Ocarina of Time in there. Uh, you knew it. You knew it. That was gonna be my next it, suggestion it would, too. After Mario sixty four, it wouldn't be my choice. Like that is the that is the game as to why I'm here today. But like it working in Japan in video games, but it's not the Zelda I would want to play now. But but representative. But it's, but it's representative of an industry change like that. That changed action adventure games forever. And I, I have a little bit of a controversial choice for a couple generations earlier. After Pac-Man and before Mario 64, we have a lineup of classic Mario side-scrollers. Of them, I would pick Super Mario Bros. 3. No, it'd be oh. Super Mario World. Yeah, I knew it. I knew there would be controversy. I'm, I'm a firebrand no. personality. Because 3 is not... 3 is experimental Mario. Three is experimental Mario, whereas Super Mario World is like Super Mario Bros, but way fucking better. So I'm gonna list that one. I'm gonna I'm gonna put both down because we both gave our answers. Uh, and let's see, you just did. Su- okay, so my next next I one. I have up. to say, Ooh. like, yeah, yeah. Counter Strike. I was going to suggest Counter Strike too. Okay, okay, but I got like, I got another one that was, I feel might. Yeah, like there has to be something that represents multiplayer, but multiplayer in its two facets, online and also, like, local. So, I want to lean towards saying Smash Brothers for Couch Cop. Which one? But, uh, probably, well, Ultimate, I guess, because it's just the, the better one. Okay. <laughs> Um, I, I guess melee would be the most appropriate for local co-op. I, I absolutely. But there are th- whoa, whoa, whoa. I I'm excited. Know, like, I love this one. I'm I'm just <laughs> knocking them out. You have to like cover the facet. So we have to have yeah. like games that were revolutionary. I got, I got generational. one. I got one. Multiplayer mm-hmm. in its two facets, which is the online generation that came. So Counter Strike or oh, Halo. I I got one that that encompasses your previous qualifiers and is a really important part of game history. Go on. Doom. Absolutely, positively, yeah, I feel Doom yeah, should be in a time yeah. capsule. Did get rid of Counter Strike. Let's put Doom. Oh in. oh shit. Okay, because yeah. well, we got twenty now. If there's Doom. ten for each, so there's room. There's room in that time capsule. There's shoulder space. I'm just thinking about how you break it down. Like, generational games like Mario 64 and Pac-Man, which changed game the games industry. Then you'd have single-player, multiplayer in its two facets, um, games that showed what video games could be. Not like the whole video games are art kind of thing, but what video games can be. Like, pushing the different boundaries of where video games can go. Um... 
And now that, that we have the basic rules of the basic genres established with stuff like Doom, uh, Mario 64, uh, or, and Mario World, and also basic mediums established with stuff like Pac-Man, now we're getting into the artsy years where video games start getting weird and experimental with it, which is why I would want to throw... I would, of course, want to throw Metal Gear Solid 3 in there. Or maybe would it be MGS one? No, yeah, I definitely do MGS three. I do MGS three. It would be three because otherwise you're just picking a a single player game. It's not. It's not representative of the games in three. Like three represents all of the different weird systems you can put in a video game. Yeah, like the camouflage system and like eating mechanics and uh, transitioning from like different parts of a jungle. Like that represents like what you can do. When you really push video games, and, and it I also would argue that five the, is more appropriate. It hints that the like, emotional power an interactive story can can give uh, the audience. I mean, to us as fans of that game, but you like you can't assume that's like for everybody. Whoever finds this time capsule might, I'm sure, would appreciate it if they go in chronological order and see. I guess mediums I evolve I to mechanics say, evolve into interactive say, stories. Well, I would say The Last of Us has to be in there then, because okay, I don't, I don't, I would not I agree with that like, one. But there, I there's don't, twenty games. We have room. No, it's, if we're talking about narrative storytelling, well, can you think of a game that uh, this is not a uh, a competition for how good it is? Because I don't think The Last of Us is that great. Me neither. But in terms of like how it was presented and delivered, I would sooner put Deus Ex in a time capsule than Last of Us. And I'm I'm why? up with that like, on my list, Deus Ex. But why though? What 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 is it that is demonstrating a leap Deus from mechanical competition to world simulation, immersive sims? It's the uh, like like yeah. it, it feels like it's a ra- it's a reification of ideas that really think, blocky, chunky '90s simulators were hinting no, at. No, but there are so many different genres. We can't just be like, well, we have to have one game that represents immersive sims. We one, have that two, one game three. that has action and adventure. It's like we have to go to the very broad spectrum of what video gaming is. Single player, Which is fine because we have nine more choices to throw in here. I wouldn't put Deus Ex in there. I, uh. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put it down to genre specific. Wouldn't be like, oh, we have to have the best sports game. The best, the best walking simulator game. There has to be like the broad spectrum. What's your next choice then? I, I don't know. I'm just trying to think. You like, have I've d- a lot more of a harder time with this one than I am. Because I don't think there are many games that can represent a whole... Like, there are, there is not that many games that have come out that can represent a whole shift. A whole... Which is why you have room for, for 10 times 2 makes 20. How many have we got so far? Uh, 11. What are the 11? Read them to me again. Um... Let me put them in order. Just read them out to me. Alright. Pac-Man, Super Mario 3, Super Mario World, Doom, Mario 64, Mario? Ocarina Time, Deus Ex, Smash Ultimate, MGS3, The Last of Us, and my next choice, Shadow of the Colossus. Which I'll have to put between MGS3 and The Last of Us. Yeah, so Shadow of the Colossus and The Last of Us are like the dualities of storytelling. In video games. Mm, mm-hmm. Also, why do we have Mario 3 and Mario World? We don't need both of them. Because Mario 3 is my choice, Mario World's your choice, and we both have our own time capsules. Oh, okay. Okay. 
It's Wait, been a while since you've suggested one. Why did you get Shadow of the Colossus and I get The Last of Us? I don't want that. Wait, but because Last of Us was your suggestion. But I'm thinking about like future <laughs> humanity. I'm not thinking about me. Hmm. hmm. I'm thinking about what represents the video game industry and its different facets. Well, like the Shadow of the Colossus and The Last of Us are two very good examples of <laughs> two uh, ways video games tell stories. Ooh, I have a good one. <coughs> I have a real, something that already feels like a historical artifact of, of a time that will never come back again. Go on. Uh, Resident Evil Remake. Uh, I don't, I don't I, know I, why you have such a hard time with this. Because it does, it, it, I mean, they're great games. Like, I'm putting in games that I don't particularly like, but they represent right. a facet of video games. What does Resident Evil represent? As a facet of the video games industry. Cinematic language wrestling with the player's control because of an intentional attempt at capturing an emotional experience. Uh, I think you're just like putting some highfalutin words on top of what... No, when I'm looking at the whole list, I'm seeing like a clear evolution of like basic competitive arcade shit to uh, more... Something more deeply meaningful and personal, and and yeah, but then we need to go back the human. other end, and then we have to say something like Fortnite has to be in there because we have to go through the shifts of the industry. Then I guess sure, like no, if that's Fortnite not on my list. Up... Don't you put that on my nope, list? Nope. You don't get more okay. choices than me if I have to put The Last of Us and Fortnite on my list. No, <laughs> I'm not no. taking The Last of Us out. <laughs> you don't get to have Shadow of the Colossus and Resident Evil remake, and I get lumped with. Dealing what with what the actual industry looks like. You're just like, I'll just choose MGS3 and Resident Evil, two games I really love. Yep. Um, let's see. Got to think of another That's one. That's not how it works. <laughs> well, my time capsule is going to work that way. Um, but it, it best represents the medium. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I would like argue a... that MGS3 and Resident Evil do the same thing. No. Eh, no, like if one's trying to emulate action movies and the other's trying to emulate horror movies, those are two very distinct genres of two very. But they're both trying to emulate a cinematic experience via gameplay and the way the director has controlled aspects of the game to give you like a a, a pseudo cinematic experience. And that's shit that could not happen in the age of 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 Mario World and Pac Man. So both of them are doing the same thing. No. They are in how they represent the industry. Okay, not in terms of like on. what they are doing. My time capsule is good. My time capsule yes, is fine. You have to. It, is it has good. been so long since you've 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 given an, another one. But you're only representing like two things. Oh my god, Liam, suggest on, a George. game. Think outside the box. More. Outside the box, George. You Journey, wanted then. to do ten. I would, uh, yeah, well. I, I've suggested yeah. three in the time it's taken for you to argue about the very nature of the question. You just you just suggested two of your favorite games of all time. Yeah. It doesn't count. Yeah, no, it did. I'm, I'm, Fine, uh, it's my time cap. Fine, stick into the breach in there. Have uh, it what's that, what's that? No, I know, it's not going in. Even oh my god, Lee. <sighs> okay, are we? Did, should I just fill out the rest of you? them? You wanted to do that. Who sent us this question? Oh, it was Reggie fils Yeah, wasn't thanks, it? Reggie fils <laughs> Fuck you, Reggie. Um, I should clarify it wasn't actually Reggie fils just a fan writing Can you imagine if it was? I, I would great. love having this conversation with Reggie fils Halo. I guess Halo's got to be in there. All right. right. I'm down. I'll throw Halo in there. 
But that does the same thing that Smash does. Oh my god. Uh, Alright, you just put down Halo, and I, in the, in the time it took for you to decide on Halo, I put down Deus Ex, Resident Evil Remake, and Shadow of the Colossus. Is it my turn or your turn? I don't even know anymore. I can't believe you're taking Deus Ex, MGS3, and Resident Evil Remake. You're just picking George's top 10 games. Hell yeah. It's going to be a great question. time capsule. It's not the question. <laughs> Future humans are going to have so much fun playing through, through my time capsule. Future humans are going to be like, who was this analytical, erratic human being who chose all these games? I, I have a choice, a suggestion. This is a game I'm not even into, but I feel represents an important era that, that will come and Finally, go. Finally, a sensible suggestion, then. League of Legends? Yes, that's exactly the kind of thing that represents the video game industry right now. Yes, you're right. I would put that in there instead of Fortnite just because of personal preference. All right, we got five more, Liam. There you go. Now you're thinking with your brain. Oh my god. Okay, that that was that was a little. Anyways, Liam, <laughs> I just put down League of Legends. What are you going to put down? Pokemon? Which one? I guess it's got to be blue or red or yellow uh, or green. You got it. Even though they're not the best. Oh, um, Tetris. I, I vote Tetris. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. Fuck yes. yes. Absolutely. 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 Can't that, believe I didn't think of it earlier. No brainer. Yeah. 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 Well, how many left? Two. Uh, one, two. Three more. Well, that depends. Three more. On if you really, absolutely, positively want me to take Last of Us out. Okay. No, it it represents narrative. All right, in we got we got three more. Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or Mega Man. Ten. Mega Man Two, because they both do the same thing. Perseverance. All and right. Fighting that leaves design one more. versus player frustration. Which yeah, Dark which Souls. Mega Man? No, 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 no. Oh, just, oh, just Dark oh, oh. Souls. Okay. Not both of them. You know... Because like, they they represent the same thing. We don't have any strategy here besides if you want to call League of Legends a strategy, I which have, is a stretch. I, well, oh, oh, right. You meant as in like a video game strategy. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, League oh, of Legends oh. kind of covers that. Okay. Um, how would you feel about a Civ game? In which Civ? Hmm. No, I would say League of Legends covers that same base. Oh, no, no, they're not, very different to me. Not quite directly, of course. Yes, me too, they're different, but they they still represent strategy and PC gaming. So after after I plop a Civ game down, you got one more, and it'll be... You'll, you'll have the final choice of this I'm question that has bewildered you and frustrated you. And uh, it's a great question. It is a great question about what represents the video game industry. It isn't about favorites. It's about what represents the industry as a whole, like our entire history as a culture of people. Exactly, which I which is great for Civ because that shows the like Western video game centric perspective of the entirety of human history. I'm gonna put down Civ Five fully expanded. That's my choice for the Civ representative. We got one more. Spelunky. Ah, good. It represents good. the indie. Yes, it does. You could you could interchange that with Super Meat Boy, Celeste, or uh, uh, Braid, or anything. But 
something that represents the indie shift mm-hmm. of the video game industry. Spelunky probably also represents the rogue like craze yeah. of of the past yeah. decade as well. Spelunky has Spelunk- historical yeah. importance. So yeah. you ready Spelunky to hear a- our our whole entire time capsule? Oh shit list, yeah sure. Pac-Man, Tetris, Super Mario 3, Super Mario World, Doom, Mario 64, Ocarina of Time, Pokemon Red slash Blue, Deus Ex, Resident Evil Remake, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, Halo, MGS3, Shadow of the Colossus, Journey, Dark Souls, Spelunky, The Last of Us, Civ 5 with all the expansions, and then League of Legends is the last one. League of Legends representing the like free-to-play, popular-with-the-kids, uh, competitive online games we are still experiencing the, the glut of in our current era. Well, let's hope that, you know, for as, like, <laughs> for as shit the industry can be sometimes, let's hope it continues. Because look at that list. That list is a, is a strong list. So... Let's do one more, because that took, understandably, quite a while, and uh, I don't think we got time for two more, but... <clears throat> I need to go to bed. <laughs> Jamie Papa says, I like when developers break their own rules and choose satisfying gameplay over what would logically make sense. An example of this is having enemy hitboxes be larger and player hitboxes be smaller in an FPS. Or in Celeste, when you're traveling away from spikes, you don't die even if you're touching them. Do you know of any other examples of this? And when you notice something like this while playing, does it lessen the experience? No. And every game does this to the best of their ability? Mm-hmm. It depends on the subtlety and the absurdity of the situation. My favorite example is how in Bioshock, if an uh, enemy shoots you first, they will always miss their first shot. And that's something yes. I didn't notice. There was a great thread that popped up uh, about a year ago. Yes, where, that thread was excellent. Yeah, people were asking game developers about these exact tricks, and that was my favorite mm. response. A lot of talk on um, Mercy Health, how... A lot of times if you happen to end up with one HP, which happens a lot in Wargroove, that is by design. That's not necessarily the game following its own rules. That's the game developer giving the player yeah. a, a suspenseful, climatic chance at coming back. Yeah, there is a lot of uh, stuff like that. And, I mean, it's not breaking their own rules. It's them just living by the rules they they want. Like, when, when you make your own game, you can do whatever the hell you want. It, you're not really sure how players are going to respond to it, so you can only just... Do it and then see what happens. Sometimes that's why games feel unfair. That's why sometimes games feel fantastic. And but it, every every game tries to be like that. Yeah, I, I agree with that, but I don't know if I agree on like a, a basic no response to when you notice something like this does it lessen the experience? Because I feel like that determ- that's determined on a game by game cases. Cases? Yeah, on but a for case the by most case part, basis. Yeah. But for the most part, knowing that kind of stuff is only ever advantageous to you. It is. However, it's never negative it, because it depends. it's you understanding. I feel it depends on how immersive the experience is supposed to be versus how competitive and mechanical the experience is supposed to be. I never would have noticed that enemies in Bioshock miss their first shots. And I am noticing in Wargroove that I end up with 1 HP a lot in a game that already tries to obfuscate its rules. <laughs> don't know that for a hundred percent so the fact is you might just be thinking that and it's complete coincidence like that might not actually be a thing whereas you know for sure in bioshock now but in wargroove you don't know yet the, the so statistics do not seem coincidental it's it's happening you've played a lot. like three missions george and and i've gone through the arcade 
mode where you have to fight, I think, six battles? I've made it up to number five oh, okay. twice. Well, you really give arcade mode to a go. Health. It's a lot more, uh, I'm there's a lot more to do there. Yeah, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, I'm gonna do yeah. it. Anyways, me about that. anyways, um, there, are, yeah, there's a really good thread. I think Polygon covered it eventually, but there's a really good thread about the kind of tricks and the weird things that people do to. Also, Mark uh, Mark Brown, who does Game Maker Toolkit, did a. I think it was called like protecting the player, how or how designers protect themselves to help you. And it's a, it's a video entirely about this subject, and it is fantastic. I I I like them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to wrap it up. Well, I want to. I I just want to answer very quickly that last question. Yeah, because that's a very quick one. George, do you want do you want to just read it? Hey there, best dads or sons. You decide. Hearing Liam say how much he likes football, because it's in all caps. Soccer. Just wondering why he hasn't answered the most important question. What teams does he support? I support Manchester City. There you go. I d- don't know what that is. Uh, George and Matt, do you have a sports team? No. Look at him. <laughs> Thanks for reading. Looking forward to the next show. Um, when I was a kid, <laughs> I was into hockey. I've been to a couple Atlanta Hawks games. They were only okay. Oh, my God. The image I have in my head of you playing hockey is Beautiful. I got really good at it. I loved rollerblading. And after I was done playing hockey, I went through my skateboarding phase and decided to bring my rollerblades to the ramp park instead. I used to skateboard a lot as well. Yeah, and and skateboarding is... I guess it looks cool if you're an adult and know how to do it. If you're a kid, I just I just remember feeling dumb all the time when I was like standing on top of this board <laughs> unable to control it or move it versus walking but with wheels. Yeah, if you couldn't do that, then no well that's kind of your own fault. Man, I wish rollerblades were still cool. Where did they go? No idea, George. Yeah, yeah, that was But I tell you where we're going. We're going home. We're going home. <laughs> It's time to go home. We've been flying solo for too long. We need to return to Matt. Matt's Matt's the anchor to our very rickety boat. Matt's the one who rushes us out at the end when we gotta go. We're past two hours again. Thanks. Thanks uh, so much for listening to us. Rest in peace, Matt, wherever he may be. Uh, uh, We'll have him back next week. Until then, send some questions to dadandsonspodcast at gmail.com. Don't lean too hard on the dad dins. We might actually be switching over to a new game show format to uh, keep things fresh soon. And we'll give you guys the updates as they come in. Don't forget the whys. Don't forget the da-da-da-da.